Welcome to Park Church. We are glad that you are here with us. We are kicking off our new series called Love Where You Live. My name is Matt, and I am a pastor here on staff, and we're happy to welcome you uh, on this super Sunday. Uh-huh. I think every year I say that, and every year it gets worse and worse every time. Anyway, um, I want to echo what Paul said. We're kicking off this new series Um, And if you're someone who just comes here on Sunday morning, we are so happy to see you. And we think in this series, you're going to get a lot out of it. Um, Hopefully your faith is challenged. This is going to be a series where we really try to take steps towards turning our faith inside out, towards turning our faith outwards towards the world around us. Um, And so if you're coming on Sundays, we're super excited about that. But if you can find a way to be part of a community group this year, um, this winter, we think this will go even better. Because uh, this winter, we're going to be following along in this book. It's called Love Where You Live. Um, And basically, it's a workbook that you go through as the season goes along. And you're going to have a chance to go deeper, to reflect, to do more readings, to think about this. And then the key is you're going to get together with other people and talk about it. And that's where faith gets challenged. That's where we can encourage one another. That's where we can um, hear what God is doing in your life and actually try to call people to it. So if you're able to become part of a group this winter, like now's the time to do it. We have one that meets at 1045 here if you can't do during the week. And that could be a good chance for you. Um, But if not, you know, go to the welcome room. We will get you connected. You could grab a book. You're not going to have missed too much time to be able to start this. Um, We would love for you to do this because this, you know, we think this really matters. And this could be a really impactful thing um, for this place. Um, On the bottom of that book, it says this is an eight-week study on God's desire for our neighborhoods. Um, And we're going to expand that a little bit. The book really talks about kind of our neighbors as the people we're supposed to reach, as in our physical neighbors, people we live with, catty corner across the street, that sort of thing. We're going to kind of expand it um, and think about the people who you live life with. And you're at home a lot, so you're with your family and with, you know, you're next to your neighbors a lot. But if you're anything, you know, like me, you're at work eight, nine, ten hours a day, right? And so you're with those people. And those are your neighbors. Those are the people who you live with. Um, Or, you know, the same moms that you see a drop-off and a pickup day after day after day. These are the people who you live with. You see them every day, right? The people who you commute with, um, your friends, the people who you know from Starbucks, that sort of thing. These are the people who we live with, who God is calling us to reach out to. And so it would be helpful throughout this series if you could th- start thinking in those terms and think like concretely, who is someone or who are a few people that God has put into my life in order that I make an impact in their life. And it's helpful for you even now just to think about those kind of people. What we want to do over the next seven weeks, this is the eighth, eight weeks, um, is help you learn to love where you live better. Why do we want to do that? I mean, on one hand, there's really two reasons. One is just quite simply, we believe this is God's strategy for reaching Monmouth County. Um, This is God's strategy for reaching the world. When people like you, Jesus followers, if you are one, um, have it in their heads that you're going to love your neighbors in the name of Jesus, that's how people are going to meet the love of God. That's how people are going to meet Jesus, and they haven't before. We could do big evangelistic events, right? We could be people who knock on doors. 
Um, we could be people who hand out tracts and that sort of thing, and that works in some places. But we just think for our context, for our culture, for where we are, what we see in Scripture, that's not the way it's going to work for Monmouth County. It's going to be people like us loving where we live. And so this is God's strategy. It's why it matters. The other reason, though, and if you were here for the last three weeks, you would have picked this up. It turns out that this really is the only thing that counts, loving where we live. I mean, for the last three weeks, we talked about how the only thing that counts is faith working through love. This is what Paul said in one of his letters. Um, we can have all of the faith that we want, all of the me and God stuff, right? All of the belief, all the Bible study, all the worship, all of the Sunday mornings, all of the thoughts. We can have all of that, but if it doesn't, all that vertical, if it doesn't translate into the horizontal, if it doesn't translate into concrete love for your friends, your neighbors, your family, your coworkers, then it just doesn't count, Paul says. I mean, elsewhere he puts it crystal clear, um, I could have the faith even to move mountains, but if I don't have love, I'm nothing. And so it turns out this, loving where we live, um, it matters because it's God's way of reaching people. But for a lot of us, that's just the problem. People. You ever met a person? <laughs> People are the worst, right? I'm going to let St. Jerry and St. Elaine tell you about people. I just love that click. I, I will never understand people. They're the worst. Um, if you're anything like me or if you're anything like Jerry and Elaine here, this is kind of like the way it works, right? People, before we get to know them, people are people. People are tough. Um, people kind of bounce around. They're kind of in our orbit. But, you know, in general, it's okay to kind of keep them at back because people are strange. People are weird. People are demanding. Um, people want to talk to you and all you want to do is sit and read, right? But if you're anything like me, the people who have come to mean the most in your life are people who at first you didn't think so highly of. You didn't see where they would be connecting with you, what sort of meaning they would have for your life. Um, you know, as a kind of a silly but also a not so silly example, um, like my wife is one of these people. I met her between our seventh and eighth grade years in the summer. Uh, we were at a party and we were set up by a mutual friend who I later ended up dating, and she was featured on Bridezilla's. So it's kind of good I didn't end up there. However, um, we were set up in between seventh and eighth grade because we were both short and weird. Now, I'm glad that I grew out of those things. I can't speak for my wife, but I, I grew so we meet at this party of this mutual friend, and when I met her, let me tell you, short she was, she sprouted quite a bit since then, uh, short she was, um, weird she was. She was off the wall. She was full of energy. Like, we have a kid who's full of energy all the time, bouncing off the wall. That's what she was like at this party, and it was kind of weird, right? And I, I'm a super quick judge of people. Um, I'm not judgmental. I'm pre-judgmental which makes me actually worse, I think. But I'm a super quick judge, of, and I was like, this girl is weird, I am gonna write her off. Now, she also judged my book by the cover, and she was like, this guy has it all. <laughs> he's, 
he's, he's, he's short, he's got acne, he's got dirty long hair, he's sitting quietly in the corner wearing a Nirvana shirt. I mean, if those aren't the five things women look for in a man, I don't know what is. Um, at that party, though, there was no chance for us because we had seen the stories and that was enough for us. Um, years later, we met. I found out she was obsessed with me over that time because of that story. She was like, oh, the guy with the Nirvana shirt and the acne. That's where, just kidding. Um, years later, we met. And, you know, that's kind of a funny example, but it's actually not because she's the most important person I've ever met in my life. Um, but this happens all the, all the time. And I can think also of, like, my community group. Um, they're not short and weird. They're kind of normal people. Um, but these are people, for the most part, who I would just never be in a relationship with. I would never be in the same room with these people because they're in a different place of life. They're from a different place or wherever the case is. Um, but these are people who have come to mean so much to me, so much to my life. They have changed things. And if I were allowed to kind of judge the book by the cover for too long, I would never have a chance to meet these people. But it's what we do as humans. We judge a book by the cover. Um, what we do is we meet someone, and immediately we start to tell a story in our head. We start to develop this narrative about who that person is, about what their story is, about what value they might have in our life, um, or whether they're worth actually investing in or not, right? And so um, you'll meet someone for the first time, and you start to write that story, or you'll have one conversation right, or one bad look, and you start to uh, write that story, or you don't even need to meet them. You could just see them from across the room and think, look at how that person's dressed, and look at what they're drinking. Like, this is not my kind of person, right? Or you don't even have to meet them. You could just hear about them from someone else. You hear one story from someone else, and all of a sudden, you have an entire narrative about them written in your head. Now, you don't even have to hear about them. You could just see it on Facebook, and say, ooh, that's the kind of politics they like? That's the kind of person they are? That's the kind of um, videos they share? That's not, my, that's not my kind of person. We write these stories, and that's because as humans, we are story people. We need a story to make sense of the world. Um, that's just how we are, like, evolutionary. Like, that's where we are. We need stories. That's why, like, every good boy deserves fudge. I can remember that, but I don't know the notes of the scale. It's like EGD. E D, right? Like, I don't know those notes, but I remember every good boy deserves fudge because I'm a good boy that deserves fudge, and that's a story that I can get into, right? Um, it's why movies and TV shows have the, have the ability to absolutely capture our hearts and move us in a way that, quite frankly, is surprising because we're not actually in the story, but they move us. It's why for centuries and, I mean, for thousands of years, books and plays and fairy tales and folklore and songs that tell stories. These are the things that culture has carried forward and capture us because we, um, we connect with story. We need a story. Um, the world doesn't make sense without a story that we're living into. And so what we've learned to do as human beings is write a story all the time. And we write our own story. And for a lot of us, we're the hero of that story, right? If you've ever thought to yourself, everyone's an idiot but me, it means that you're a really good fictional biographer, right? Um, but like we write our own stories. The people we meet, we write their stories, but they actually have a story that they're coming with. And sometimes we don't even get to know that. We don't get to connect with that story, but that's what we do. But what happens is we write these stories, and a lot of times, maybe if we're feeling um, gracious, we'll write a place for them in our story. 
But usually what we do is we just write them off. We write them out of our stories. And sometimes, sometimes it's just based on one data point, one meeting, one thing we heard, one glance that we caught. And do you know what that is to, you know, write someone's story and write them off based on one thing? It's just arrogance. I mean, it's self-protection. It's what we do to make sure we have a place. But what it is, is it's arrogance to think we could just write off someone um, based on one story or based on one moment. And the thing that we miss in all of it, the thing that we miss in all of it is that, yes, we have a story. Yes, we have a story about them. Yes, they have a story. But the most important story that we don't even consider sometimes is that God has a story is that God is writing a story. God is writing a story about them. God is writing a story about us. And here's the thing for this series and for this morning. God is writing a story about them and us and how our two stories are meant to come together. And so the purpose of this morning um, is really this. It's to get those stories straight. It's to get our stories straight. Um, To ask the question, what is the story that God is writing here? And why has he placed us in the middle of it. So we're going to look at a short passage from a letter um, written to a group of people who are asking the same kind of questions that we're asking. What is our place? What is our place in the world? What is our place in God's story? What is the story? Um, how are we supposed to live in a world that continually seems to be telling a different story than the story that we're living by? These are the kind of questions that this group of people were wrestling with. And it was written by a man who was no stranger to stories, no stranger to having, um, you know, the danger of the book uh, judged by the cover, all right? It was written by a man named Peter. If you know who Peter is, he was one of Jesus' um, 12 closest followers, what's called the apostles, and Peter was sort of the leader of it all, right? Um, If you read the Bible with us this year, you would have read the Gospel of Mark. And in the Gospel of Mark, um, you would have read about Peter and you would have heard that his story isn't good. His story isn't good. Probably Peter was Mark's source, and that's why it's especially slanted against him, right? Um, But that story is not good. And here's the thing. If Jesus judged Peter's book by the cover, we would have never heard about Peter. We would have never had this letter from Peter. And here's the thing. Peter was the head of the, I mean, he was a leader of the church for some time. He was, with the exception of Paul, he was the most important person in the history of the church outside of Jesus, right? And we wouldn't have heard about him if Jesus uh, judged that book by the cover. But Jesus didn't judge that book by the cover because Jesus knew that God was writing a different story. Even through Paul's fail, uh, Peter's failures, even through Peter's, um, you know, his life and his death. Uh, so Peter knew about this. And in this letter, he's writing to them to try to, um, to remind them of everything that they have because of what God has done for them in Jesus. Um, he's writing them to tell them about the hope, the living hope that they're born into, to give them assurance of the salvation that they found, um, to remind them of all of the benefits that they're entitled to enjoy as Jesus followers. All of the comfort, all the encouragement, all the power, all the joy, all the peace, all of the life. But the thing for Peter is that the plot uh, for his story, for that story, doesn't end with just the benefits. It's, it's all for something. At the center of his story, the main plot line, that's what we're going to look at this morning. And here's what, here's what Peter writes. He says, but you are... 
a chosen race. And I'm going to explain all of this. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So just to begin, um, who is the you that Peter, that Peter is addressing here? It's not you as individuals. This is a you all. Peter is talking to a group of people who are trying to follow Jesus together. Um, and what we call that is the church. Peter is addressing a church. That's what the church is. Uh, it's a group of people. The word for church that we have, and I think I've talked about this before, um, it's, it's really translated out of the German, which is a huge mistranslation of um, the original Greek. The original Greek word is the word ekklesia, ekklesia. And um, the prefix ek means out, out of. And the word, like klesia, it's a, for, it's a form of the verb to call. And so um, the word that we get translated church is really like the called out people. This is a group of people who were called out of the world, right? Um, out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. It's a called out people. And that's pretty much what Peter is saying here. He doesn't use the word church, but he's addressing it um, throughout. So like the first thing up there is chosen race. Now, race is obviously a very difficult co um, concept in our America today with our governor of Virginia and all of this nonsense, right? Um, the word race, though, um, it doesn't mean like skin color. It doesn't mean where you're from. Um, that word for race up there is more like people. It's more like tribe. And if you've read the first chapter of the Lover You Live book, if you started it, you know it's called um, Tribes. And this is basically, you know, a called out people. Chosen is uh, chosen not because of your race, not because of your skin color or anything like that. It's um, in some sense, you have been chosen by God. And why you and not someone else? We don't actually know the answer to that question. But in some way, God has shown himself to you. God has revealed himself. And here you are, if you are someone who believes, here you are believing. And in some way, you are part of that chosen tribe. And that's kind of what that means. Um, royal priesthood, I want to skip that one over because I want to talk about that in a little bit. Holy nation. This is one that we can get thrown off by. Um, nation is really a collection of tribes. That's what it was in the Old Testament. Israel was 12 tribes and one nation, right? So that's nation. Um, the word holy is one that we kind of can get thrown off by because our contemporary use of the word holy is more like um, pious. It's more like perfect when I think of holy, I think of um, gold and incense and robes and things like this. But holy is not really meant to be a churchy word. All that holy means is um, set apart. Holy is something that's set apart for a particular use. It's not for everyday use. It's for a particular use. And so your fine china is holy, right? It's taken care of differently. It's used differently. It's only used once or twice a year, right? Your wedding dress could be considered holy because you're not going to go to a movie in that. You're not going to have dinner in that. It had a use. It had one purpose. That's what, that's what holy means. And so to be a holy nation means that we are set apart for a particular use, for a particular purpose. And then Peter says, um, God's own people. And this is really like the key. We are God's own people, not, um, not because everyone else isn't God's person, but because we're God's people for a particular reason. 
And so I want to remind you, and I've said this before, but I want to remind you, the church is a people. The church is not a building. It's not a building. It's not a place that you go. Um, This is not a church building. You did not come to a church because uh, this is a mixed-use warehouse. It used to um, specialize in fixing one kind of race car. And once we leave this place, it can go back to that. Or it can become um, a dance studio or a workout studio or something like that. You're not in a church building, right? The church is a people. Church is also not something you go to on Sunday morning for an hour and 15 minutes. Um, This is the way we use the word in our American vernacular, but that's actually not what a church is. A church is a people who have been called out of the world for a particular purpose, for God's particular purpose. And this is... um, this is where we are in God's story. Ecclesia, a called out people, called out of the darkness and into God's marvelous light. And this for our series and just for our lives in general, this is foundational. The church is the collection of people, the gathering of people who are called out of the darkness into his marvelous light. And that is your story. That is your story. It's easy to forget that sometimes because sometimes we have things in our lives that are really hard and that are really dark and sometimes it can feel like we're out in the middle of the sea in the dark without any way to go, uh, without a compass, without any way to steer, but that's our story. You are called out of darkness into his marvelous light and if you know that, don't forget that. If you don't know that, our hope for you is that you will come to know that and come to see yourself in that light, but that's, that's our story as Jesus followers called out from the rest of the world. And what that means is that that's not the story that the rest of the world shares. That is not their story, at least not now, at least not yet. That's our story because we have come to believe in Jesus. We have come to been um, out of the darkness into the light. But that's not part of that other person's story. The person who you might be thinking of, your friend, your neighbor, your coworker, whoever it is, um, in some very real way that we have to remember to account for, they're still living in darkness. They are still in darkness in in one way or another. And this is where the story uh, gets interesting. Because we are all of these things. We are the chosen race, the royal priests of the holy nation, God's own people. We are all of this. Like I said, for a reason, for a purpose. And this is the hinge that the whole story turns on. We are all of those things in order that. In order that something. And it's not to feel good. It's not because we're better than other people. But we are all of that things, all those things in order that something happens. And this is, I just want to camp out here for a second. Because this is a constant temptation of the church. It's a temptation of our church. It's a temptation of every gathering of Jesus' followers. And it's a temptation of every person's faith to think that our faith, our life together, our work, all that we do is for us. It's for ourselves. Um, We do this so we could teach our kids up, so that we could um, have good things to go to, so that we could be uplifted every week, so that we could do these things. All those things are true, but none of it is for ourselves. We are a family, we are a home, we are a tribe, we are a royal priesthood in order that something happens, in order that something else happens. And what this means for each of us is that if our church, if our faith together, if our life together 
only ever becomes about what happens here, only about us, then we're not doing the faith that Peter uh, is leading us to, right? We're not doing the faith that Paul led us to, because the only thing that counts is not faith, it's faith working through love. Faith that stops with us just enjoying God is not the faith that Jesus calls us to. And here's why. Because faith that stops at us, faith that stops at those doors, faith that stops at our community is fundamentally faith that is just good for us. And you know what that is? It's self-centered. It's self-focused. It's self-directed. And we know that that can't be the faith that Jesus uh, generates, that Jesus wants for us, because Jesus was known for being the opposite of that. He was known for being other-centered, for being selfless, for being self-giving. But we forget that all the time because it is so good to be a Jesus follower. It is so good to bask in the light of his glory, um, to bask in the light of his love for us, to have that hope and that peace and that joy, um, and to sing the songs and to pray the prayers and to have the fellowship. It's great. It's wonderful. But when we forget that all of this exists for a purpose, for a mission that God has called us to, when we forget the in order that, we risk losing everything. Um, It would be like having a $100,000 sports car that you're so happy with, you're so proud of, you want all your friends to see, but you never take it out and drive it. Our faith is not meant to be kept in the garage. It's meant to be out there, outside of these walls, outside of our hearts, um, outside of this group. And here is the in order that. It's in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It is in order that you may proclaim God's mighty acts. And when Peter says God's mighty acts, here's what he means, as simple as possible. What God did for the world in Jesus. He came, he gave his life, he, he, he taught, um, he did miracles, he healed, he suffered, he was crucified, he died, he was buried, he was raised from the dead so that you could live. That's God's mighty acts that we are called to proclaim. And for a lot of us, I know it, that word proclaim scares the heck out of us. Does that mean that we all have to learn how to get up front and preach a sermon? Absolutely not. Does that mean that we have to learn how to stand on the street corner, like on a soapbox, and like proclaim this at people? That's not what, that's not what that means. The word um, proclaim, it does mean to tell. It does mean to declare. It also means to celebrate. Um, it means to make known to the world around what God has done. And using your words in like speaking like this is not the only way to make known what God has done. Our purpose, our place in the world, the reason why we exist is to make known what God has done with our whole lives, with our whole actions, with our inaction, with our words, yes, but with our conduct, with our service, with our entire being, to make known to others what God has done for them. And I'll put it a different way. Um, That phrase up there, royal priesthood, that's the one that that I kind of skipped over. And those two words together, they don't make a lot of sense to us as Americans because we don't do like royal family, that sort of thing. Um, and uh, unless you come from a Catholic background, right, um, priests are uh, question, like, we don't do priests either. So what does that mean for them? Um, in those days, royal meant the king. 
And the king, listen, the king was the one who was responsible for leading people. The king led people, um, led the nation. They led the nation in battle. They led the nation forward uh, in new conquests. Um, the king led the, led the nation. That's what, that's what it meant to be royal. It meant to lead someone. And priests, priests are intermediaries between God and people. Priests represented what God wanted to say, um, the blessings, the curses, all of that. Priests said that to the people, um, but then also, priests also represented the people to God. They brought to God the people's concerns. When you put those two ideas together, royal priesthood, here's what you get. You get um, leading people to God and leading God to people, bringing people to God and bringing God to people. That is what our calling is. That's what it means to proclaim the mighty acts, um, to bring God to people and to bring people to God. And the way that we're going to do that, like I said earlier, um, is to learn to love where we live, to show them with our actions, with our inactions, with who we are. And that's, that's a picture, just one picture. That's a picture of where we are in God's story. That's what we're for. That's what our faith is for. That's what this church is for. That's what your faith is for. And so I want to bring it back to you for a minute, to the stories that you tell in your head, make up in your mind about the neighbor, about the person you see every day, about your son's basketball coach, about the mom you see every day. We're going to come at them with these stories because that's what we are. We're people who tell stories. We're going to have these stories written. So let's learn to tell the right story. Let's learn to tell God's story. And here's the story. That person, their story is this. It's that God loves them. And he sent his son into the world to live and suffer and die and be raised for that person because that's how much God loves him and that's the kind of God that God is. And God wants to call them out of darkness too. Just like he called you out of darkness. And here's the thing. He wants to use you in his work to bring God to them and them to God. That's the story that we can live with. That's the story that we are called to live under as Jesus followers. That's the story that Peter tried to uh, tell to the community, to the church that he was writing to. And I wonder for you, what would it look like for you to live into that story? To approach the person in your head whose story you have all figured out, to approach them with this story instead with this new story, with God's story. I mean, the first thing that it would look like, and this is kind of like a, like a duh, of course, it's to actually believe that this is the story. It's to actually go into those relationships thinking that this is actually the case, that God actually does love this person. That his desire is to call this person out of darkness and into light, that that's the real story. That's their story. Yeah, they have problems. Yeah, they annoy me. Yeah, they want to talk to me. But their real story is that God wants to call this person out of darkness into light. And so part of what this means is that we have to be willing to put our creative writing on the back burner, right? We are good at telling these stories. We have to be able to put them aside in order to actually think like and believe like God's story is right. Because it's not their story. Their story is that God wants them. God loves them. And the bottom line is, we meet these people. We write our stories. Um, we can write them off so easily, but we have no idea. We have no idea 
what the details are of the story that God is actually writing in that person's life. I mean, we know the big picture of the story. God wants to call them out of darkness into light, but we don't know that all the things that annoy us about them, maybe those are the exact things that Jesus is going to use um, to turn that story into one where they're called out of darkness into light too. We see this at the end of the Gospel of Luke. There's a famous story um, where two disciples are, this is after the, uh, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, Jesus is raised from the dead. These two disciples, they don't know that. They are leaving Jerusalem because they think Jesus is a failure. They think Jesus um, wasn't right. They think that the whole mission was just, they're walking away depressed, downcast. And Jesus, who's risen from the dead, they don't know it. He comes up to them, and they can't tell that it's him. Um, and he walks with those two disciples for miles, for miles and miles. And only after all that happens can they look back and say, oh, gosh, Jesus was there all along. Jesus was, Jesus was there with me. We don't know what God is doing, what Jesus is doing in the lives of these people whose stories we have written. And so we have to uh, trust that God is writing a story. And our job, and this is really the second thing, our job is to understand our part in that story, to know our role, to know our role as royal priests to these people, to bring God to them and them to God. And I want you to think about how you typically view the people in your life, your friends, your neighbors, coworkers, people you go to school with, whoever. Think about how you typically view those people. How does this story challenge you to uh, approach them differently? The idea that you are called not just to be a person in their life, but to be a royal priest in their life, how does that change the way that you um, walk into those relationships or walk into that situation or do the things that you're called to? What might that look like for you? You know, for your interaction with your neighbor, who just got divorced, had to downsize, moved into the house next door, um, doesn't know anyone in town, is probably having a really hard time with it. How are you going to respond to that kind of person? Uh, the story that we could tell is, well, you know, stinks for them, but that's kind of life. And I'm going to give the neighborly wave, hey, neighbor, but I'm not going to actually do anything different because I'm not a royal priest in their life. I'm just a person in their life. Or you could approach that saying, wait a minute, there's a story that God is telling here. God wants to call this person out of darkness into light, just like he did for me. And how can I be of use to God in that story? How can I approach that neighbor differently? How can I believe that God has placed us together for uh, a reason? What might it look like for you and your coworker who you've known for a long time, who unfortunately you know the story and you know it's a dark story, it's, a, it's an ugly story, and you just know them? What would it look like for you to believe that you're not just a person in their life, but that you're a royal priest in their life, called to bring God to them and them to God? How would you change the way you treat them? How would you change the way you relate? How would you just change the way that you look at them? And you consider their life and their hardships and their struggles. Um, that's what we're called to do. That's knowing our role in this story. And what I want for all of us to walk out of here with this morning, it's not so much something new to do, but it's just a, a story to have straight in our heads. A story to be able to tell in every situation we walk into, every relationship that we have. Bringing God to people and people to God because he loves them and wants to call them out of darkness into light and wants to use us in that story. 
if you know this already, um, I want you to recommit yourself to living like this. If you don't know this, if this is news to you, um, I want you to commit to learning this, to hearing this. I want you to be part of a Love Where You Live group so that we could talk about this for the next eight weeks together. To allow your mind to be changed about what your faith is for, about what our church is for, about what all of the good things that we have to celebrate here, about what all that is for, because it's not about us. It's about them who are not even here yet. It's not about you. It's about the you who's not even sitting next to you yet. We're going to work through all of these kind of details, paint a picture of what this actually means as we go forward. Um, but join a group and get involved with that. And what is at stake in this? I mean, do you know what's at stake in this? If we miss that in order that, what is at stake is really, I mean, it's just everything. Everything is at stake. God's story is that he wants to use us to bring um, people out of darkness into light. If we lose that in order that, without that peace, our faith, our church, our life together, it becomes self-centered. It becomes self-serving. It becomes a country club. Um, it becomes something that's good for us and not for the world around. Without this peace, we become a nation with closed borders. We become a tribe that doesn't welcome anyone else in. We become a royal priesthood who brings God to no one and no one to God. We become a holy nation that no longer is listening to its Lord. We become God's own people who no longer follow God. If we lose the in order that. What is at stake is not just our life together, not just our meaning, our purpose, our faith, but what is also at stake is the lives of those around us who don't know any of this. The hope of those around us who don't know any of this. The salvation of those around us who don't know any of this. That is what at stake. That's why this matters. That's why this is worth it. That's why we need to get our stories straight. So let's pray that God would get the story into our hearts, our heads, we could get it straight and live out the story, start bringing God to people and people to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, the story that you have written for the world, which is that you, you loved it so much that you sent your only son in order to save it so that whoever believes in you can have life. God, that's what we want. We want to bring people to believe in you, bring people to follow you, um, bring people out of darkness and into your marvelous light, however we want to talk about it. And we pray, God, that you would um, rise up within us, well up within us, this, um, your Holy Spirit's movement to go, out, to go out and do that, to go out and be about that, not for ourselves, not just to enjoy the benefits of following you for ourselves, but in order to um, really to bear witness, to share, to make known this good news to the world around God, we, uh, we are so thankful that you have called us out of the darkness into the marvelous light. And for anyone here who hasn't heard that call, who hasn't experienced that, God, we pray, we pray that you would um, make that calling known. Lord, as we prepare to sing now, um, that we don't just do this for ourselves, but we do this on behalf of the world around us, like the royal priests that we call to, we pray for those people in our lives who we can think of, our neighbors, our coworkers, the friends, the people who have always been on our hearts. We don't quite know what to do. We pray that you would get our stories straight for us. And now we lift up our voices and our hearts to sing uh, on their behalf. 
We pray for them in Jesus' name for our work together. Amen.